Hello, Patriots! Welcome back to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. Bringing you insight from outside the mainstream, I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk about artificial intelligence's control over healthcare, the DOD using your tax dollars to censor you, and the repercussions of a possible Trump indictment and subsequent arrest. Next, on Living with Liberty. point will people wake up and realize that once the government has total control over health care, they, not you or your doctor, will make the decisions on what treatment you will be able to receive. And as companies start using artificial intelligence or AI to do risk analysis, whatever that analysis results in, that will be what the insurance company is going to cover. There will be no consideration of the human condition or quality of life aspect of treatment or what the doctor might say a patient may need further or that their recovery is behind. The insurance companies will just look at that algorithm and say, well, on average, people recover from this in six weeks. We're only covering six weeks of treatment. It goes longer than that. Sorry, you're on your own. I have a Breitbart article here titled, AI death panels, algorithms are denying care for Medicare Advantage patients by Lucas Nolan. Now, according to Nolan, a recent investigation by Stat News found that AI algorithms have influenced how Medicare insurers deny insurance to patients. In some cases, insurers cut off benefits for elderly patients because the AI says they should be better, ignoring what human doctors have to say about the patient's condition. So here we are using similar modeling techniques that told us that we were going to have millions die during the early days of the pandemic to determine whether a patient is healthy or not, ignoring what the doctors who are actually treating these patients have to say about their progress towards recovery. We are entering a dangerous time in history where we are relying on computer models to make decisions. And we're doing it not just in healthcare, we're doing it all over. We keep hearing about the rise of machines and how great AI is. Well, what happens is you put stuff like this in place, people get lazy, they don't want to make the decisions, they make the decision that's in front of them without applying human intelligence. That's what makes this dangerous. AI is a great tool, but that's what it is, a tool. It still requires some human intervention, some human intelligence to verify the decision being made by the AI tool or the analysis that it's putting out. You can't just blindly accept whatever uh, analysis or whatever decision the AI tool is making. It, it just doesn't work. It makes a mess of things. And we're, we're entering a dangerous time in our history where we're relying on computers to make these decisions for us. We're, we're seeing it more and more every day. These, these AI tools being implemented more and more every day in businesses, in healthcare now. We use computer systems and models, now in the line of work I'm in, we use these computer systems and models to determine forecasts for demand as well as what we would need to manufacture or purchase to support that expected demand. When I was in that chair making that decision, when I was the one looking at these models and when I was sitting in the chair of uh, these you know, different forecasters and, and supply planners, 
we didn't have AI. We still used computer models, though. And you still had to apply in human intelligence because a computer model, whether it's AI or otherwise, is only going to be as smart as the numbers going into it. It's not going to know any of the extraneous factors going on in this instance, a marketplace. In the instance of the article, the piece here from Breitbart, people's progress towards recovery and in, in health. Now, when I was in the chair making the decision on is that model correct or not? I didn't just go with whatever the computer spit out at me because there's many other factors, like I was saying, that you need to consider. Factors that the system would never be able to take into consideration. Things like what are the actual current market conditions? Because you're looking at this, you're only looking at the history. A forecast is based on history, right? And that, that more recent history might not be as good as the overall history it's looking at. So you have to look and see if the near term is being balanced out in that forecast, or if it's maybe way too high because we hit a recession, let's say, right? We, it doesn't take into account uh, the deals the competitors have out there. What coupons do they have out there? And what does that play, or how much does that play into, uh, in, into a company's demand? It doesn't look at their inventory shortages that a competitor might be out at the shelf, right? That, that, that information comes in from the, the sales team. It comes in from market intelligence that has to be baked in by someone sitting in a chair planning these things and looking at this data. So I always reviewed the system models for their validity before I released them as our forward operating plan. You have to. If you just blindly trust the system, you're going to end up with a huge mess. Same thing here in healthcare, right? These insurance companies are just blindly accepting what these algorithms spit out at them, these AI algorithms saying, okay, you know, you broke a leg that's about an eight-week recovery from healing to rehab, whatever the case may be, right? They're, the insurance companies are only thinking about the bottom line. So the, the AI, the, the feed, data feeding these AI systems is, is an average. It's an average of how long it takes somebody to recover from a broken leg or from a... Uh, uh, some sort of illness, something like that, right? They're only looking at the bottom line and they see that this artificial intelligence system can help them with that bottom line. It can help them be more profitable. So these insurance companies are only thinking about the bottom line here. They're just blindly accepting what the algorithms are telling them about, aware, about where a patient should be in their recovery. And they're ignoring the actual conditions on the ground, the actual conditions in that doctor's office, as it were, of where a person actually is in terms of getting better, of healing, of recovering from an injury or illness or whatever. That's not being taken into account here. Not all humans, not all people recover at the same rate. Yes, it's an average. It could be eight weeks, right? It could be eight weeks to heal a broken arm. That's an average. Some people, it could be 10. Some, it might be six. You, you just don't know. That's why it's important to have the, the doctor's evaluation in, you know, taken into account when we're looking at, do we keep processing claims for this injury or not? The troubling thing here is that insurance, the health insurance companies are using AI technology more and more, as uh, Nolan notes in his piece, he says this, the stat investigation found that health insurance companies are increasingly using unregulated predictive 
algorithms, I'll say that again, unregulated predictive algorithms to determine when to stop payments for older patients' treatments. While the insurers claim that these tools are merely suggestive, in practice they often serve as hard and fast rules that don't account for individual circumstances or changes in a patient's condition. So we have insurance companies using uh, unregulated technology, let's call it, to determine whether somebody on a government program should continue to receive payments or, or uh, reimbursements, whatever the case may be, for their treatment or not. We have insurers claiming that these tools are merely suggestive. Yeah, right. Without a doubt, the insurance companies have told their analysts that look at this data that, that run these AI models that what the system says is gospel. Take it as gospel. That's what we're rolling with. And shut off the benefits because that's going to add margin to a company's bottom line. And we all know because it's a government program, these insurance companies and doctor's offices and whoever else aren't making any money off of these things. So anywhere an insurance company can cut back or, or, or um, I should say, have an, has an opportunity to increase their margin on a Medicare patient, they're going to do that. Because the government caps things artificially. And then we've gone into that before. That's, that's one of the big messes in our healthcare system is we've got the government capping, uh, capping the, the charges an insurance company can levy on, a, and, on the uh, insured. Uh, their insurance companies telling doctors because of what government regulations are, how much they can charge under a certain insurance and how much they're going to get reimbursed. That's why our healthcare system is such a mess. So anywhere that an insurance company can say, oh, we have an opportunity to increase our margin here on Medicare patients, let's do it. Okay, Joe Analyst here that looks at this stuff every day for patient claims on Medicare, whatever the system says, that's what we're going to roll with. Now you may be saying, Ryan, how do you know this? How do you know that that's what they're doing with these AI systems? How do you know that this is what, you know, is what's going on? Well, uh, let me go back. I know what the purpose of AI systems are. This is my line of work. You know, there it's a big thing in supply chain. Uh, AI is a hot topic, and how do we use it? Do we use it? All sorts of things. It's being used. Machine learning certainly is. Um, AI is the next evolution of that. So that's how I know this. That's how I know what they're doing with this. I know what the purpose of these systems are. I know what they're trying to accomplish by putting them in. The purpose of putting in a, an AI system is to optimize your costs. Now, in industry, that can come in the form of inventory control, right? It's We use all kinds of algorithms to optimize our inventory to make sure we don't have too much, to make sure we have enough and, and aren't running short. Does it always work? No, <laughs> but that's the purpose of them because that's how you optimize your costs. There's a, a curve there where you know demand and supply intersect and that's your ideal inventory spot. Now it can come in the the form of that inventory control comes in the form of purchasing control again talking about what I uh, do for a living. You're looking to say okay how much should I really be purchasing what's my ideal order uh, orders quantity on you know individual items and I have a system that'll help me determine that and if it's lower than what a minimum order at the supplier is and you know, there's options we look at there, but 
it, you can use it for that. Or in the case here that we have, you use it AI to control how long the insurance company is going to cover a treatment for a patient. AI is a tool to help model and make decisions, not a tool for someone to just blindly take and run with the first recommendation it spits out. Now, imagine, you know, here we have a, a AI being used to look at a government, one section of the government, uh, uh, government health care, right? The Medicare, the Medicare system here, the Medicare uh, recipients. Now, imagine if government had control over all of health care. What would that mean? especially if they're not going to have any interest in regulating how insurance companies are using this AI technology. Now, decisions would be made using this type of algorithm. So uh, let's go and, and do an example here. Let's say it, on average it takes eight weeks to recover and rehab a badly sprained ankle. Someone with bad ankles, I can tell you that's about accurate. I've had some bad ones over, uh, over my lifetime here. Hopefully I don't have any more. But knowing my ankles, it's a distinct possibility. So let's say it takes eight weeks to recover and rehab from a bad ankle sprain. Now, the AI algorithm is going to take that. It says, okay, on average, people with this type of sprain, it takes eight weeks for them to recover. So it's going to spit out a benefit, uh, benefits end date eight weeks into the future. And that's what you'll be covered for. If your rehab and recovery takes 16 weeks, well, too bad. You can cover it out of pocket then or just stop the, the rehab, right? So you've got this, this um, AI here that's just going to say, well, it takes eight weeks, and some flunky at the insurance company is going to say, oh, the AI system said eight weeks. You get eight weeks of benefits, that's it. I hope you get your ankle fixed by then. Now imagine this. You've got a terminal illness. Sorry, this algorithm says with that illness and what stage it's in, you have a 10% chance of living. We're not going to try and cure it. We're not even going to uh, authorize any benefits to try and make you all that comfortable in, in your end-of-life situation here. Coverage and care denied. That's where this type of stuff goes. And if you think I'm kidding, look at some of these countries that have socialized medicine, that have uh, government-run health care. I, I had a previous job, My most of my team that I managed was in Canada and my boss was in can in Canada and he had to wait eight weeks for a heart surgery. You don't think that's where that's, this is going here. If you have AI making the decision, then it says you've got a 10% chance of living. We're not doling out any insurance benefits for that. That's going to be too expensive. Had, I hope you had a nice life. That's what's going to happen here. We're heading down a dangerous path in healthcare. If this, use of AI to determine payment benefits isn't put in check. This is something that we need to make sure there's a, a, a human element put to this, that someone's actually reviewing this and saying, well, there's a, you know, there's the number side here, and then there's the human side here. And, you know, in the case of a terminal illness, a suffering side here, right? Not only for the patient, but for the family. I mean, so this is really going to, if this, takes off and we're not careful with it, it's really going to just treat people as a number. And that's it. And we got to be careful of that. Subscriptions are one of the big ways podcasts get discovered. So if you could, please do me a favor. Pause whatever platform you are listening or viewing on and hit the subscribe button. 
It will give you an alert whenever a new Living with Liberty is published, and the subscriptions help us get into the recommendations so others can find the show. All right, continuing on with the theme of government controlling things. Apparently, the Department of Defense has been using our tax dollars to propagandize and censor us. I'm sure that is shocking to many of you. Uh, hopefully, you can uh, detect my sarcasm there. Now, I have a Federalist piece here titled, DOD Pays Media Rating Scammers to Create Propaganda and Censorship Tech for the U.S. Government by Margot Cleveland. Now, the DOD has been paying media ratings companies, NewsGuard, to censor and propagandize us. Imagine that. According to Cleveland's piece, in 2020, NewsGuard received a $25,000 award from the federal government to conduct a pilot study after winning the COVID-19 disinformation challenge. The prize package included the opportunity to learn the ropes of profiteering by participating in a government contracting 101 session and a small business innovation research or SBIRC crash course and included a trip to Maui. I'm just kidding about the trip to Maui, but knowing our government, they probably would have thrown that in there too if they thought they could get away with it. Now, hold on here. Our government held a COVID-19 disinformation challenge. Sounds like a way to violate the First Amendment, doesn't it? Now, maybe it wasn't them. I looked up the COVID-19 disinformation challenge. I couldn't find anything specifically linking it back to a government program. There were several colleges out there that had uh, had a, uh, a link to the COVID-19 disinformation challenges. So maybe it was put on by academia. I don't know. If the government was involved with it in any way, though, it sounds like a First Amendment. It would be a First Amendment violation, and we should be really concerned about that. We should be concerned about it anyway, because this is a, a direct attack using a, um, a, a, a just a disgraceful outlet like NewsGuard to... Uh, to, to just to try and censor us and to tell us what's misinformation and what isn't. That, that's not up for government to decide. It's not up for a government-paid entity to decide, okay? That, that's up for the people to decide, and people should do their own research. We have to be better in that as a society. So we can call out institutions like NewsGuard when they're obviously propagandizing us. But anyway... So this whole thing sounds like a, a violation of the First Amendment. Who's the government to decide what's misinformation and what isn't? Right? We're, we we know we we live in a banana. Let's let's be honest here. Now we live in a banana republic. We no longer live in a constitutional republic. We are a third world banana republic, plain and simple. So why aren't we pushing back harder on this? Who's the government to to decide what misinformation is and what isn't? And why are they having a challenge for a government grant and a government contracting 101 session? Why are they giving out prize packages for this? Th that's the stuff we should be, and our tax dollars paid for that. It was a government grant. So that means we're paying for our own censorship. And it doesn't stop there, though. It doesn't. According to Cleveland, the following year, NewsGuard scored a nearly $750,000 award from the Federal Small Business Innovation Research Center to allow NewsGuard to further develop its misinformation fingerprints program in conjunction with the DOD. 
That program relies on NewsGuard's questionable reliability ratings of news websites and its databases of so-called hoaxes, falsehoods, and misinformation narratives. From there, the project uses AI and social listening tools to identify the initial source of the hoax and to find instances of the hoax being repeated or amplified online. This is Operation Mockingbird for the 21st century. They've just taken an upgraded Operation Mockingbird to the 21st century. They're using AI. They're using social listening devices. The, the government's handing out, under the guise of a small business, what is it, Small Business Innovation Research Center, handing out our tax dollars that is going to pay for a grant that's helping to propagandize and censor us. Now, for those that aren't familiar with Operation Mockingbird, and I think uh, Mark Dice goes into Operation Mark- Mockingbird uh, quite extensively in some of his videos. I think he's he might even have a book on it. I'm trying to think of his books right now. He might even have a book that he's written on it. I know he's mentioned it in a couple of books I've read. But for Operation Mockingbird, those not familiar with it, it's a CIA program uncovered during the 1970s, but I, I believe it was during the, the Church Commission hearings, where there were like 400 journalists, journalists who were on the payroll of the CIA writing propaganda. And this was started during the Cold War, and they were doing it to manipulate public opinion, <laughs> much like today, probably trying to trigger World War III, knowing our government. So they were trying to propagandize the people then to, uh, to sway support, I'm guessing, for us to get into a war with the USSR at the time, with the Soviet Union. So the CIA started this. And without a doubt, there's no doubt, it continues to this day. Operation Mockingbird still in effect to this day. Just look at the language all the newscasts use out there. You can go to any major news story throughout the, the country, go to the, watch the local channels, and they're seeing the same exact lines over and over between newscasts, the same type of language. Now, that's all coming from somewhere, right? And Operation Mockingbird has uh, you know, a hand in that, and the CIA has a division that works with, like, the Hollywood types. They have an actual division that's, you know, they say to, to make sure it's realistic in the movies. It's really to propagandize. Let's, let's not, you know, try and be fake about it here. It's really to propagandize, to make sure the CIA's propaganda gets into our entertainment stream. That's what it's there for. So you, you see all this. You see how it all comes together. They all use the same language to get us all thinking and talking in the same language and, and along the same lines. We have to be smart enough to figure this out. It shouldn't be, it should be, people should be questioning how come, you know, the Fox station in Milwaukee is covering a, a national news story using the same language as someone on CNN, the same verb, you know, word for word verbatim saying the same exact thing as someone in, you know, Seattle on the Fox station there. We should be questioning this. So we've got this, we've got Operation Mockingbird going, you know, still full steam ahead these days. They claim it's not, I'm sure. They'll, you know, deny, 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 but it is. We know we're being propagandized. Now, on top of that, we've got the government bringing in artificial intelligence and social listening tools to scan the internet, probably to scan conversations, 
I'm sure with the, the NSA out there listening in on conversations, they're probably using the tools to scan people's uh, voice conversations too. They're using these to determine what a hoax is and where it's coming from, and then they are using databases of an unquestioned left-leaning outlet to do it. So all this, bad for free speech, bad for freedom of thought. The DOD is then going to be able to use the information to shut down the hoaxes by providing its preferred counter-narrative by its preferred outlets. So all the talking points will come out from the DOD the lamestream media will soak them up and start parroting their uh, their narratives that come down from on high at the DOD and try and squelch anything they deem a hoax. It's not up to them. It's not up to the government. It's not up to somebody at the Department of Defense to determine what a hoax is. And by hoax, I mean it's something that goes counter to what their narrative is, which is usually warmongering which is usually waning support for things like our involvement in Ukraine. We're watching the destruction of our freedom of speech and our freedom of thought in real time here. We need to do something about it. Uh, no, we, a lot of people have. I, CNN, MSNBC's numbers are way down. So we're starting. I, I, you look at the circulation. Washington Post had to fire a bunch of journalists. Uh, I think it was around Christmas time because their circulation and eyeballs on their website had gone way down. So they're not getting the ad revenue. So we're, we're taking action, but we have to be more forceful in pushing back on it and asking the question of why the DOD is, is working in conjunction with a private entity and they're the ones coming up with what's a hoax and what isn't. That's not their role. The Department of Defense's role is to defend our country. It's not to... to uh, you know, propagate, you know, why they need, why, you know, there's so much white supremacy in the, in the military and what they're going to do about it. It's not for our generals to try and understand what white rage is or whatever Millie was talking about. Their job is to train soldiers to be at the ready to defend our shores, our country, and our uh, interests abroad, really. That is their job. It's not to determine what's a hoax and what isn't. And it's not to hand out money to private companies with questionable ethics to, uh, to, so they can get around the First Amendment somehow and say, well, it's not us. It's NewsGuard says this. We're not censoring you. Bullcrap. The government should not be using our tax dollars even to give grants to companies like NewsGuard. It shouldn't be using tax dollars to contract with any organization because they want to quell dis or misinformation. That's not the role of government. Government's role, as outlined in the Constitution, is to protect the freedom of speech, thinking First Amendment here is what we're talking about, So, but to protect all of our rights enshrined in the Constitution. Their, their government's role is to uphold that. That Constitution is the contract of we the people and the government to uphold those rights and the Bill of Rights and all those others outlined in the constitutional amendments and the constitution itself. It's not the government's role to determine what's uh, truthful or not. It's to protect freedom of speech. And it's up to we, the people to be informed enough then to confirm or deny those ideas or, or that speech. We should be knowledgeable enough to say, yeah, you know what, buddy, you're, you're full of crap. And here's three 
things I uh, researched here on, on the internet because you can't go and get an encyclopedia anymore. <laughs> but not Wikipedia, don't use that. Um, but here's, here's you know, three separate articles all saying the same thing, and they're all counter to what you're saying, so you're full of crap. That, that's up for, that's for we the people to decide, not the government, not some faulty, false news organization or, or news ratings organization. That, that's not their role. They want to do a fact check, fine. Let them do a fact check, but do it on their own time, not with government grants. If you're listening to the audio-only show and your platform allows for reviews, please give us a five-star rating. It helps others find the show. Whether you're listening to the audio version or viewing on Rumble or YouTube, hit the Rumble or thumbs up button. The more interactions we have, the more the show gets into the recommendations made by the algorithms and the more we are able to spread the truth. All right, next story here. I've been saying this for a while. I've been feel like a bit of a broken record, but our economy is in trouble. And our government keeps compounding the issue. Now, the Silicon Valley bank failure is just the latest example of how government picks winners and losers. And it doesn't care about actual economic principles. It really doesn't. If they did, if the, if the government and the so-called economists in our government actually cared about economic principles and not politics, there would have been no bailout for the Silicon Valley bank. All those depositors, it would have been like, mm, sorry, you probably should have kept a better eye on the bank you were using. They don't. They don't care about actual economic principles. It's all politics. Now, you think about this. A government, the Fed, just spent the last 12 months jacking up interest rates to curb inflation, only to do what? Turn around and say they are going to bail out a failing bank by printing more money to ensure that the uninsured depositors at SVB are made whole. So we just threw the last 12 months of interest rates being hiked to soak up the money supply so inflation comes down out the window because now we got to print a bunch of money and give it to this bank. Our financial system at this point is propped up by the government, plain and simple. There's no, the market is barely free anymore. And because of that, banks take bigger and bigger risks because they know the government is going to prop them up. They take bigger and bigger risks with your money, with the depositor's money, because at the end of the day, we've, we've normalized this behavior of, oh, we're just going to take a bunch of risks because the government will come bail us out. Now, according to billionaire investor Ken Griffin, there's been a loss of financial discipline with the government bailing out depositors in full. He's absolutely correct. With the government seemingly in love with bailing out failing businesses, particularly financial institutions, probably financial institutions that lean the right way politically, there's not much incentive to manage the risk of that business. I can be as risky as I want. The government's going to bail me out at the end of the day because I donated to the Democrat Party. They know, these companies, these banks know, if it gets bad enough, the government's going to come by with a bailout. There's, there's not a bailout at this point that Washington doesn't love. Republicans and Democrats, both. The essence of capitalism is eroding here. There's no incentive to manage the business in a way that balances risk and profit. It's just, let's make a ton of money short term 
and an extremely high risk that if the, if the risk comes to fruition and we have massive failures, it's going to be really bad. But oh, the government will come bail us out so we can do it and we'll reap the you know benefits of the profits in the short term. Regular, regulators say that bailing out SVB was necessary to prevent a broader run on banks in the country. But Griffin said it wasn't necessary, saying this. It would have been a great lesson in moral hazard. Losses to depositors would have been immaterial, and it would have driven home the point that risk management is essential. Exactly. This is exactly the point. We are living in a post-accountable society. Nobody wants to take accountability for the actions anymore. The losses at SVB were contained to that bank. There wasn't going to be a broader contagion. Yeah, there were, you heard the stories, but if, if the government didn't come and bail out this one bank... Were others really going to fail? No. They weren't. But let's be honest. They weren't. If that bank has a, a strong financial position, a strong balance sheet, manage their risk appropriately, they were not going to, you know, they were not going to uh, fail because the government didn't bail out SVB. The, the banks that are failing are the ones that took on massive amounts of risk and they're now paying the price because the Fed's been raising the interest rates over the last year and they needed the capital and that capital became more and more expensive and they actually took losses on what they had borrowed or, or bought in T-bills in and bonds. And that's what happened here. Money came, became more expensive for them to acquire and they couldn't handle it. They didn't have the balance sheet to handle it. It wasn't going to affect the broader economy. Griffin's exactly right. The, this... Is it, this is an opportunity, this is, was an opportunity, I should say, to teach a lesson on why good risk management is essential and why we should check out where we're sticking our money, right? That was, that was the opportunity here. We could say, okay, we, the markets spoke, right? And, and government caused the problem. And all they're doing with this bailout is compounding the problem. They're just trying to put, you know, rebuild the house of cards here. The, the, these... Uh, investments these banks are ma making aren't built on solid uh, economic principle and solid, you know, economic foundation. I went over it before. We haven't seen an uptick in productivity in our society, in our country. It's our, our economy isn't as healthy as it's being portrayed to be. It just isn't. And I really start to question whether it was under Trump even. Were we growing? Yeah. Was it real? Who knows at this point? Because even during Trump's reign as president, we had interest rates at the Fed of zero or near zero. So the last 15 years, our economy has been propped up by fiat currency, basically. And now we're going to pay the price. Now we're going to print more fiat currency to give to this bank. And there's going to be three more uh, leaks in the dam that springs somewhere else. We're, it's not looking good, folks. It just isn't. Our economy's in real trouble. And if, if, if they want to keep sweeping this under the rug, fine, but prepare yourselves. This was an opportunity to say, this is why we need good risk management, management at the banks. Instead, the government comes with a bailout, and it was a totally unnecessary bailout at that, costing taxpayers more money, adding to our federal, uh, federal uh, deficit here. Okay, finishing up today. This is one of those stories I debated whether we do or not, just because there's so much floating around. I'm going to do it anyway. So supposedly 
Donald Trump is supposed to be arrested this week. He's posted that on his truth social, some sort of illegal leak. Uh, is there an illegal leak? I don't know. Is this Donald Trump trying to, to put on a show and trying to rile up his base? Possibly. Anything that I've been able to look at and find, uh, even on most right-leaning outlets, is that according to Donald Trump, it's not according to a source within the Manhattan DA's office, or it's not according to the, the dreaded anonymous source. I know journalists don't have to, uh, you know, have to um, reveal their sources. Fine. But I know when I hear anonymous source, can I trust that? I don't know. So it's all been, all the stories have been Donald Trump said that he's going to be arrested. It hasn't been anything saying a source inside the Madison or the uh, Manhattan DA's office, you know, leak this information, or we had a leaked draft of the indictment and saying Trump, we're going to send the, you know, FBI or whoever to go get Trump. There's been none of that. Okay. So let, let's just, let's just put that out there right now. Put that, um, on the table, put that in the back of our minds. What happens? I don't know. This uh, episode, I'm recording it uh, a day of when he's supposed to be arrested. Uh, so he's supposed to be supposedly Tuesday, March 20, what are we, 20th today, 21st. He's supposed to be arrested, according to Donald Trump. Wait and see. There's been wait so there's been a lot of hoopla around this. And the more I look at it, the more I dig into it, uh, the more I'm going to say this is a wait and see. You got to remember, Trump's a showman. And if and we've seen with some of his behavior lately, taking shots at DeSantis and, and, and others, pr primarily DeSantis, I guess, he might be feeling a little pressure in, in trying to, to get his campaign up and running to, to take on what I'm assuming will be Joe Biden again. We know Trump's a showman. That might be where this is coming from. Time will tell. I, I'm, I'm just, let's put that out there. Let's pump the brakes on it a little bit. Depending when you listen to this show, you, you might get, the, you know, we might know more in terms of whether he actually was arrested or not. I will say this too. I read a story today that the indictment isn't even a done deal. There still has to be voting done on it. There still has to, there, there was a witness that uh, was giving testimony today, far from a done deal. Put that in the back of our minds for a minute, and let's pump the brakes on this. And I'll say this. If, it, if this goes forward, if they, they go forward with an indictment on Donald Trump, and they go forward with a, arresting him, it's going to be a big mistake. Because, I, and I can't believe that they're doing this. As politically savvy as the Democrats and Swamp Republicans are, or are supposed to be, or think they are, however you want to describe them, it would be a huge mistake, perhaps bigger than the raid on Mar-a-Lago if they indicted and arrested Donald Trump. Wouldn't it be unprecedented? When did you have, when have we seen a former president investigated to this degree after he left office? And Obama had plenty of scandals that we probably could have made, uh, had plenty of investigations into. And you go up the line, I'm sure George W. Bush did, pick a president. But it's been this one, it's been this former president, Donald Trump. We got a president of the White House right now that should be in endless investigations that nobody uh, seems to want to acknowledge. Lots of questions around that guy. Nobody wants to acknowledge. The swamp has been doing everything they can to prevent Trump from running for president again. And if this is, let's say, again, I'll say if this allegation is true that he's going to be indicted, 
and arrested by the Manhattan DA office. This tells me they're down to their last option here in trying to prevent Trump, trying to damage Trump and prevent him from running for president again. Look at it. The the whole Stormy Daniels thing, it's been done already. She actually had to pay him money. Okay. She had to pay him money for uh, restitution for, uh, I forget what it was now, defama- uh, defamation, I think it was. She paid him. So now, how are we going to do this in reverse? This whole thing's been done. Why? If this was an issue, if it's a big if, if there was anything there with these hush money payments, as they're calling them, it would have surfaced years ago when Trump first started to run for president. When he first announced, it would have surfaced years ago. But Stormy Daniels has honestly been discredited at this point. This is nothing more than just the continued political witch hunt against Trump. Plain and simple. That's all it is. And I think that the Democrats know that this will go nowhere. A lot of people know this isn't going to go anywhere. Let's be honest. This will go nowhere. But that's not the point here. The point here is the process. Not that it actually results in Trump going to jail or actually uh, getting through uh, or being found guilty, right? That's not, the, that's not the actual point here. Go back and remember the actual point is to damage Donald Trump. And the other thing I, need, uh, I think we need to pay attention to here is the timing of all this. So we're March of 2023 right now. So by starting the, the process now, and knowing how long these federal investigations and indictments and grand juries and all this crap takes, it not only damages Trump ahead of primary season, because remember, we're going to this summer, we're going to be getting into uh, ramping up towards the 2024 election. Uh, and, and boy, sarcasm here again. I can't wait. I can't wait for all the stupid political ads and the freaking phone calls again. I can't wait. Can, can we just stop? Just, I'd love it. I'd love it. Sidebar here. I'd love it if we just said candidates have to have town squares. No more TV ads. No more radio ads. No more phone calls. No more social media bullcrap. Come and speak to the people in the town square. You can have print ads. That's fine. Whatever. But outside of that, I, I'm so sick of this crap. YouTube ads. No, I, get rid of it all. It just, it's ridiculous and it's a, a never-ending cycle at this point. People, I'm tired of it. I don't know how you feel, but I'm tired of it. I, it's just stupid. Anyway, that's a sidebar there. So thinking about the timing, back to the timing. We know how long this, the, these types of federal investigations and grand juries, et cetera, can take. So by bringing it now, it not only starts to damage Trump ahead of the primary season, season put questions in people's minds. Oh, well, Stormy Daniels, uh, you know, particularly low-information voters. So not only does it do that, but, you know, Trump has to defend himself during the primary season. So who's that help? That helps your deep state, deep state Republicans that might be running for president, right? Let, let's be honest. I, you know my, my position on Trump right now. I, he's still going to be top two or three in the Republican primary, bar none. He'll be top two or three. It's just going to depend on, on who else is running. Right. And right now the field is, you know, I mediocre at best is the best way to put it. I don't know. I, I 
take any of the Republican candidates over a Democrat. Their bench is really weak, but I'm looking at Nikki Haley, uh, Mike Pence, uh, you know, doesn't really inspire a lot of uh, strong feelings to, you know, make me, you know, get behind him. DeSantis isn't in yet. You know, I could, I could go with, you know, I could see uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, getting in there. I've liked what he's had to say, but you got your, you got other swamp Republicans that'll throw their name in the hat here before long. So it, not only does it damage him, it puts him having to worry about defending himself against those, that indictment against those allegations uh, during a primary season, which helps swamp Republicans. Let's be honest. It helps swamp Republicans. The deep state is down to their last bullet in their magazine here. That's the bottom line. So they're trying to say, okay, what, what do we have left in the, you know, in our gun here to shoot? Well, Stormy Daniels. Nothing that they tried so far has stuck. Nothing. Russia, nothing. Uh, the taxing, maybe. Uh, <laughs> impeachments for, you know, various things, no. You know, whether it be January 6th or Russia or whatever they impeached him for, no. None of that's stuck because there's no truth to it. So they're down to their last gasp here of trying to prevent Trump from running. So now it's back to something that if it were indeed an actual issue, it would have been surfaced years ago, perhaps even before he ran for president the first time, like I said before. If this was truly an issue, why wasn't it brought up then? You know damn well it would have been. The fact is, it's a bad move for for Democrats and swamp Republicans both to try and go this route. It, It just is. The deep state keeps Trump in the news cycle by their constant attacks anyway. They keep Trump in the news cycle by continuing to try and blame him, the Biden administration continuing to try and blame him for their failures. They keep generating more and more support for Trump with their banana republic type attacks on an, a political opponent by basically enacting a police state. Again, name another former president, representative, or senator that has had to face the constant barrage of investigations looking for a crime. Looking for a crime. We've got our suspect. It's Trump. What's the crime? They've been trying to pin stuff on him. Name me another uh, official, president, former president, representative, senator, bureaucrat, that's faced this kind of constant barrage of investigations that Trump has had to face. None. There isn't one. This is purely the deep state scrambling to avoid their secrets being laid bare by Trump. He gets a, let's say Trump gets a second term. As president, he's going to be unencumbered by needing to walk that line necessary to try and secure a second term. He's not going to have to worry about being elected again. He has carte blanche to do what he wants. So he would be free to fire anyone and everyone he wanted to, to actually clean up the swamp, to declassify anything he wanted to, to expose the depth of corruption in our government. That is what the Democrats, swamp Republicans, and their deep state sycophants fear the most, is the exposure of how deep and how wide their corruption is. They fear the house cleaning. The deep state fears the house cleaning of their preferred corruptocrats in the bureaucracy. They fear the exposure of their corruption, and they can't have that. They can't. We have to keep covering this up. We have to keep shoveling dirt on this as, you know, things are burying out the other side, right? We have to, so they, they keep piling on and keep compounding their issues. And they keep, 
they, they can't have us knowing what's actually going on, so they continue to try and make up crimes to pin on Donald Trump. They fear the loss of their grip on America. They fear the reversal of their communist march through our institutions, or through our country, corrupting everything from education to corporate culture. They fear the reversal of that with the America First agenda. They fear the rising up of the people, reclaiming our republic, making America exceptional again. That is their biggest fear. Any indictment of Trump will likely fail. It's likely to fail. And if Trump pairs it with an America first, once it fails, he pairs it with an America first anti-corruption message, his popularity will soar again amongst the voters. And Elon Musk will be proven right. Elon Musk said Trump will win in a landslide if he's indicted. He will be proven right if they go through with this. And I'm surprised that with all the supposed political savvy that the swamp has that they don't see this. They continue to attack Trump. Nothing sticks. And he just gives, uh, they give Trump more and more ammo to go after them with. Before I go, don't forget to tune in live to Rucksack Radio on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central for Laughs and Liberty with Tom and me. You can catch us live on Riverside FM, Rumble, YouTube, or Twitch. We love to engage with you all in the chats. It's always a great time. We get a lot of great comments and questions. We bring them up on the show. Uh, sometimes we get discussions going on the show from those questions. So join us live Tuesday, 7 p.m. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. (laughs) 